I think in our fast paced society, like everything's an emergency, everything's a rush. We have 1500 things on our to-do list and we're already like seven days late and eating just becomes reactive. So I'm just going to like scarf this down because I don't have any time and I'm going to eat this thing before I even realize what I've eaten. And what we have to do is make eating intentional again and make it more mindful. Whether we're sitting down to a meal or we're just having a snack in between, eating is always an experience. It should always be an occasion. And I think that by separating behavior and putting a little bit of space and pause and stillness between trigger and behavior or trigger and response, we're giving that power back to people. And that's a game changer. Do you want to wake up feeling like you're stepping into who you're meant to be? Into the best possible version of you? What if I told you that the key to your best life, health, and happiness are all around you? You just have to find what works for you. I'm Hope Pedraza, and I believe that there isn't just one way to live a healthy and meaningful life. And that all you need is a little inspiration to make changes that last from the inside out. Each week, I'll be sharing tangible tips and inspirational interviews to help you on your journey. These are the steps to take to improve your life and live with purpose. This is Hopeful and Wholesome. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the show. This week, I have on the show Nicole Hagen. And Nicole is the founder of Nutrition Coaching with Nicole. She is a nutrition coach, and she is all about building sustainable weight loss and sustainable health habits. And that is exactly what we talk about on the show today. We talk all about why diet culture is failing us, how dieting should, in air quotes, be done, and really how your mindset are affecting your weight loss efforts and how to kind of make these important mindset shifts to really take us out of this diet culture, which is totally failing us, into building sustainable habits that build confidence. So I'm really excited for you to learn from her. She has a lot of really amazing, tangible takeaways. So let's jump in. All right, y'all, let's jump in. So I have on today, Nicole Hagen. And Nicole is the founder of Nutrition Coaching with Nicole. And we are going to talk about all things nutrition and dealing with diet culture and all the things that go along with what affects our weight loss efforts. So thanks so much for hopping on with me today, Nicole. Oh my goodness, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, for sure. So I want to kind of start with kind of just what you do as a nutrition coach, kind of what you what you specialize in, because that's kind of kind of lead the rest of the conversation. So can you just share with the listeners what you do and um, how you help your clients? Absolutely. I'm not even sure that my parents fully understand what it is that I do because <laughs> online nutrition coaching, it does seem a little strange and it is a little newer in terms of career choices. Yep. But I consider what I do to be helping my clients go from where they are right now, which is typically somewhere that feels very uncomfortable for them in their relationship with food, how they engage with food and or in their bodies to where they want to go confidently and sustainably. That's very important to me. I don't want to help my clients create results that they then can't sustain moving forward throughout all seasons of life. So what I do is very habit-based, meaning I walk that client from where they are to where they want to go, helping them to change one behavior at a time. And we practice that behavior, whether it's eating more protein or drinking more water, getting more vegetables in, more movement. We focus on one action step at a time and we ingrain it into their lives in a way that works with their lifestyle, their preferences, their taste buds, all those fun things so that it can become habit over time. And then it feels like less effort to be healthy and to live in a body that's happy and to have a relationship with food that's confident because these health promoting behaviors are now more automatic. Yeah. So in a nutshell, that's what I do with my coaching clients. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Well, and I think that's really and and I think 
more and more, I think people are seeing the importance of sustainability. Like you're talking about sustainability and confidence, I think, because, and I'm sure you talk to your clients all the time about this. We see all these fad diets and all these things that are just completely not sustainable. And then, you know, you end up failing using air quotes because I hate, I hate that term, but you end up failing at, you know, this goal you've set because you've tried to do something that just either wasn't right for your body or it wasn't sustainable, whatever. So I guess let's talk a little bit about just kind of that culture, right? The diet culture where it's the fads and it's all these things that aren't sustainable. Like how do you work with your clients on determining what is sustainable for them? That's a great question. And the very first thing that I have a client answer for me before we start working together, this is on a document called their intake questionnaire, because I want to make sure that before I accept a client into my team, that my coaches and I can help them to reach their big, powerful goals. And so the most important variable is a willingness to learn and a willingness to unlearn things that maybe we've been taught or have been conditioned in us previously. And what we mean by that largely is diet culture. And diet culture is basically this big society of people, programs, supplements, you know, the whole dieting industry basically falls under that umbrella where the sole aim is to live in a smaller, thinner, lighter body by any means necessary. And what research has shown us over and over again is that this is so detrimental. One, because Living in a smaller body doesn't by default mean living in a healthier body. So sometimes these pursuits are not in fact health promoting, but they detract from our health. But also it equates our worthiness or our morality or our value as a person with the size of our bodies or the weight of our bodies. And our worthiness and our value as human beings have nothing to do with our physical structure that we live in. So it can actually be really damaging, not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally. So My clients and I are very anti-diet culture. We call ourselves diet culture dropouts. And that doesn't mean that you cannot have a weight loss goal, but it really forces us to evaluate, why do I want to lose weight if I want to lose weight? And what does that mean about me? And what does it not mean about me? But we're not subscribing to any of these quick fixes or fads that say, hey, cut out all carbs or only eat within this eight-hour feeding window so that you can weigh less next week because that's all that matters. We're really rejecting that idea, that philosophy and saying, hey, this might happen slower. I might not even lose as much weight as I ultimately want to, but you know what? As long as I'm promoting my health and making sure that I feel happy and healthy both mentally and physically, then I'm okay with wherever I land. That outcome is something that I'm willing to sign up for because I know it's in my best interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So with these... I like that term diet culture dropouts. I like that. So do you have what, what I guess, long-term effects have you seen or just effects in general? Have you seen people come to you with like that have tried the fad diets? Like, do you see any sort of like health ramifications that they've dealt with because they've tried all of these fad diet things? Absolutely. So research shows that approximately 95% of people who lose weight using conventional dieting efforts, which would be diet culture, gain all the weight back. 95% of people. So diet culture, epic fail. We're not helping anybody. And 60 plus percent of those people actually go on to gain more weight back than what they had originally weighed to begin with. So we know that weight cycling, yo-yoing from a heavier weight to a lighter weight, to a heavier weight, to a lighter weight, it is really damaging physically, not to mention the emotional toll that this takes. And that's what I work with my clients on because the men and women who work with me have typically tried everything and they realize, okay, this does not work. 
I need to try something radically different because if I want results that stick, I can't do all of this diet culture stuff because 95% of the time I'm going to gain it back plus some. That's not working anymore. I need to take a different route. And so what we have to do is really say, okay, all of that failure using your air quotes doesn't mean that you are wrong or something is wrong with you. It doesn't mean that there's anything broken with your body. It means that the way you were going about it doesn't work. So we need a different plan. The plan failed you. You didn't fail you. Right. So we kind of have to rework that mentally because it's it's really damaging. I mean, yeah. who isn't frustrated when they try something a time or two, not to mention two dozen times, and they get no results totally. that last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is, it's totally damaging. And it, I mean, it really takes some serious mindset shifts. And I, I'm sure that's like one of the big things you work with your clients with. What do you see as some of the biggest shifts that people have to make with their mindset on like dieting and food? Because a lot of people, I'm sure, are coming to you, because a lot of people who have done the whole fad diet thing, right? They're coming with a lot of like emotional baggage around all of that, right? There's some sort of like, trauma there or just like emotional effect, right? So what do you find are some of the biggest mindset shifts that people have to make around like kind of reworking all of that? Mm, That's a great question. And honestly, two pop out to me right away. The first is that there's a right way to eat. Mm. This is one of the most perpetuated misconceptions in diet culture because everybody's fighting to be the winner, whether it's low carb or low fat or keto or paleo or Atkins or Weight Watchers, whatever it is, we're always fighting for like the magic pill, the solution, the thing that's finally going to make me feel like how I want to feel. But what we have to acknowledge if we're going to be successful long-term is that there is no one right way to eat. Just like there is no one right way to have a body. Like we all have bodies, but if we ate and moved and took care of ourselves the same way, we'd still look radically different. And thank goodness for that. So we have to accept that what feels best for me, what helps me to look, feel, and perform my best may not be what helps stop hunting for this ultimate solution. And we have to start looking inwards and using what our body tells us as feedback to say, hey, do I feel more energetic when I eat a little bit more protein? Do I feel like I have a better digestive system if I'm getting more fiber throughout the day? Do I notice that my workouts improve? I'm sleeping better. I'm happier hormonally when I do X, Y, and Z. That is the only owner's manual we need when it comes to diet. We don't need to follow anybody else's prescriptive rules. We need to figure out what works best for us. So that is, I think, the biggest mindset shift I have to work on with clients who are coming from that really detrimental diet culture. The second that stands out to me, Hope, is accepting, and this is really hard, but accepting that you will not make progress as quickly as diet culture says you will. Yep. Because there's so much marketing around seven-day detox or 14-day fast or 21-day fix or 30-day, whatever it is. It has taken most people decades to get to where they are in their relationship with food. And a lot of that probably started when you were an adolescent and you learned how to maybe soothe certain emotions with food. That became a problem when you were an adolescent. You've then practiced it so many times that now you're an adult and you're finally realizing, wow, when I eat because I'm sad or I eat because I'm stressed, that's really not serving me anymore. I really want to find a better, healthier way to navigate this. It's not going to happen in 30 days. You just spent potentially 30 years creating this habit. So we have to get rid of that quick fix expectation 
that if I don't see results in a week or if I don't see results even in the first month, it's not working. Because you could be laying a really strong foundation. You could be doing all of the internal work that has to happen first before you ever see any of that on the scale or in other external metrics. So this is one that I'm constantly reinforcing in my clients. But fast doesn't last and sustainable happens slowly. Yeah, that's great. That's such great advice. Because... Well, and I think that's that's the other big thing too, right? It's like you see all these... Because I, I get that too with clients like me. It's like, oh, well, so-and-so lost all this weight because they did keto. And so-and-so did... You know, they know all these people that did all these things and have these amazing results thinking that that's going to happen for everybody, right? Or that it happens so quickly and it's going to be so easy. And because that's the way that culture makes it seem like, oh yeah, you'll drop all this weight. Just don't eat any carbs ever again for the rest of your life. And I think that's... It's so damaging to our relationship with food, right? Because now we're afraid. Like I was talking about this the other day. It's like we are in this point now where like we are afraid of eating fruit, right? Because fruit has sugar and you don't need to eat sugar and all this. So for people that come to you with these like strained relationships with food, how do you go about healing like the trauma? Because like you said, you spent potentially 20, 30 years building this relationship. And that's a lot of stuff that has to be undone. So what are some ways and maybe just more practical ways that people listening might be able to implement now some ways to kind of like heal the trauma around food and around maybe a not so healthy relationship with food? That's a great question. And I want to just go back to answer something that you just touched on as well, Hope. And you said that if we're thinking about creating this, this change, like cutting carbs out, we see someone else go keto and they had amazing results. I can get that too. There's nothing to say that you can't. Bodies are all different. But I think what's most important is recognizing whether or not you want to live your life that way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If we're looking to create sustainable results, that means we create results and we keep them. We maintain them even when life gets hard. And that means that we have to create change in our relationship with food and in our diet and in our self-care habits that we also want to maintain. Yep. Because if we change something, let's say we cut out carbs for two months, Sure, we'll lose weight because now we're eating less and carbs also retain a lot of water, mm-hmm. carbohydrate. So I'm depleting my body of water that it was previously getting and I'm going to see results. But unless I plan to live the rest of my life without carbohydrates, I can also anticipate I will gain that weight back the second that I reintroduce carbohydrates yep. into my diet. Yep. Because once again, now I'm reintroducing that water and potentially I'm eating a bit more. So I think that's another misconception as well as well, once I get this weight off, it'll just be off. So I just need to do whatever it is that gets the weight off fastest. Mm -hmm. And I would say to that, no, please take much longer if you need to and ask yourself, do I feel like I could eat this way long-term? Do I want to? Does that make me happy? Is it realistic for me and my family? Might that mean limiting some simple carbs like chips and crackers and cookies and pretzels and things like that, that maybe you feel like you eat in excess? Sure. but Keep the things that really mean a lot to you, the healthy, smart carbs, like whole grains and fresh fruits. Please do not cut out fruit. (laughs) I just had a client ask me, wait a second, bananas are too high in sugar, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, no, eat the banana. But also like have a slice of birthday cake if that's what really does it for you or a glass of wine. Like you never want to live your life without your favorite things, or at least I don't. Yeah. So don't employ a plan or a program or any kind of nutritional intervention them out, then you're not going to keep the results either. So that was just kind of an aside, but I needed to mention it when you said Yeah, for sure. I think some tangible takeaways for those listening 
who have struggled with diet culture and creating healthy, confident relationships with food, what I would encourage them to do is, first of all, ask themselves when food started feeling hard. When food, the first time they can remember food feeling like a barrier, because we're not born that way, right? We're born crying because we want food and we're hungry and we're born spitting food out when we've had enough and we, we don't eat anymore. Like we have very a great intuition when we're babies, when it comes to eating and not eating. It's when we get older where maybe there are influences like mom is always dieting or I got bullied on in school because my body looked different than everybody else's. Or maybe I had friends who were constantly picking apart their bodies and that made me feel shame for living in mine, whatever it might be. When did it start feeling like a problem? And then take this psychological principle that every behavior is a solution to a problem. Every behavior is a solution to a problem, right? I brush my teeth so that I don't have cavities when I go to the dentist. And so I don't get that fuzzy feeling, right? So my brushing my teeth is a solution to the potential problem of having a cavity. Gross. I don't want that. Me paying my bills is a solution to the potential problem of having my lights turned off or my water turned off, right? Every behavior is done not just because, but because it's helping us to solve something. So in that situation, ask yourself, what did food solve for me? Usually it was a source of comfort, a source of love. Maybe I didn't get what I needed from someone else in my life. And I resorted to using that for food because food is joy. Food is pleasure. Like it naturally triggers our dopamine center, our happy hormone in our brain. When we eat, our body is positively influenced. So it's normal for us to use food to solve hunger, right? I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. But if we use food for an emotional problem, it's not ever going to provide us with a long-term solution. And that's when we get really stuck as an adult because we've rehearsed this thing. We practice this thing so often. So ask yourself, what is food trying to solve for me? And how can I do that in a non-food related way that's actually going to be effective? So if I need comfort, can I ask for that from a loved one? If I'm so stressed out of my mind and I don't know how to navigate my work life with my family life, can I maybe start going to therapy or do some deep breathing or do some like yoga stretches on the living room floor? Like coming up with non-food related coping mechanisms when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling tired, when you're feeling bored, when you're feeling angry is such a great place to start. And what I tell my clients is nobody's taking food away from you. Right. So if you still want to eat when you're stressed and you still want to have a whole tub of peanut butter because you're angry that you had an argument with your significant other, cool. But just do the non-food related coping mechanism first. Go for the walk, cuddle with your fur babies, take a bath or a shower and do the thing that's actually going to solve the problem or at least address the problem before you resort to food. And then if you still want the peanut butter or the ice cream or the chips, like fair game. Yeah. But nine times out of 10, we realize, oh, wow, I feel a lot better when I don't just avoid or numb using food, but I actually address what's actually going on. Right. I think that provides so much freedom for people. I had a, a guest a couple weeks ago and she's like an intuitive eating expert. And we were talking about that because she's all about emotional eating. And I feel like when people understand that, like what you were just saying there, where it's like, okay, use the non-food things, right? Address the problem. And then if you still need to have that emotional eating experience, okay. Like giving the people freedom to be like, okay, like emotional eating, everybody eats emotional at some point, right? Everybody has emotional eating tendencies. It happens. We're emotional beings, whether it's happy or sad or whatever. 
we tie emotions to food. So it's going to happen. And I think when you give people the freedom to be like, okay, I'm not a terrible person if I have to have this like emotional eating experience, but I have all these other coping mechanisms. Like, I just feel like that provides so much opportunity for like, like you're saying, like working through the emotions and it just provides a sense of freedom that people don't feel like they're, you know, they're not able to, to eat what they want. Cause no, I'm, you know, tying this emotion to it and that's bad. And it's, it just, I think it's, there's like, they tie some sort of like stigma to that where it's like, no, like let's deal with the things. Then if you still want it, like, okay, let's deal with your emotion. You know, I, I just think that's such a great, again, it goes back to that sustainability piece you were talking about and being confident in, you know, your decisions and keeping sustainability and all that. I think that's, I think that's great. And if we look at diet culture, hope, and what doesn't work about it, it's very rigid binary rules. Yep. Eat this, don't eat that. You're good or you're bad. You're compliant or you've fallen off the wagon. Life doesn't work like that. Like if I, I'm going to keep running with this brushing my teeth analogy. I'm not quite sure why that's in my brain today. But <laughs> if I stay up late watching Netflix and I forget to brush my teeth tonight before bed, have I failed? Like, do I then stop brushing my teeth for right. the entire week or the entire month? Because like, well, it fell off the wagon. Of course not. I wake up and I brush my teeth and I just get right back to it. Yep. So what we can kind of glean from diet culture is extremes don't work. Rules don't work. So if we think about the power of choice that we have with food, you can do whatever you want. You can choose whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. I just help my clients to understand and to pause before they react mm-hmm. and ask themselves, is this really what I want? Right. Or is this an emotional response, like a knee-jerk reaction? Right. And how is this going to leave me feeling? Because for the first five seconds, of course, a Reese's peanut butter cup was going to taste amazing. But if I ate it because I was just really anxious and worked up and I didn't even really taste it and enjoy it, did it mean the most to me? And I think that that just gives us so much power, recognizing yeah. I'm not bad if I eat this thing. I'm not bad if I emotionally eat. I'm a human being. And that's an option. Yep. But as a human being, I have a lot of emotions and my life is filled with stress. So I just need some other tools in my toolbox For sure. that maybe serve me when I know eating emotionally won't. That's yep. all. Yep. And it gives us all the power totally. to know that we have so many other choices yeah. and it's up to us what's going to work best for us. Right. No, that's great. And, and you are, I mean, you're really giving people back the power to like decide. And I think it's just building that because it's all about awareness and intentionality, right? Like you're telling like, okay, let me think about this. Am I going to feel this way? How many feel like having that awareness and, and intentionality about the decisions that you're making and how you're going to feel and all that. I mean, I think that's what gives people their power back, right? Because they're able to like, discern like whether this is this decision is going to benefit me or not right exactly yes it's really forcing us to separate the trigger and the response mm-hmm. so i know i'm a little bit of a nutrition and a psychology nerd so i love all what all the research shows us but research says that people who struggle with losing weight have one common problem and it is that most of the time they respond to their emotions using food mm-hmm. because this was conditioned in them for a a very long time and they practiced it for a very long time. No one gave them additional tools. So if I can help anyone to separate trigger, which is maybe a rough conversation with a boss, a really wound up child at home, right? That's just driving you crazy or just chronic stress of COVID and overwhelm and loneliness and whatever it may be and separate 
your response, which is give me the bottle of wine, give me the chocolate chip cookie, give me the loaf of bread, whatever it is. If we can just create some space between that trigger and that response, it gives you an opportunity to think through how it will serve you and whether it's what you really want and how you feel about that thing. I think in our fast paced society, like everything's an emergency, everything's a rush. We have 1500 things on our to-do list and we're already like seven days late and eating just becomes reactive. So I'm just going to like scarf this down because I don't have any time and I'm going to eat this thing before I even realize what I've eaten. And what we have to do is make eating intentional again and make it more mindful. Whether we're sitting down to a meal or we're just having a snack in between, eating is always an experience. It should always be an occasion. And I think that by separating behavior and putting a little bit of space and pause and stillness between trigger and behavior or trigger and response, we're giving that power back to people. And that's a game changer. Totally. No, it totally is. It totally is. Well, and that's what, like you said, it's what keeps people from making those knee-jerk reactions and doing things because they think it's the right thing to do or yeah, falling back into the whole diet culture thing. Yeah. So you work a lot with the psych, and I love that, love the psychology behind all that. And so when we're talking about psychology, and you mentioned this before in terms of like creating habits, right? Sustainable habits. So a few, another kind of list of tangible takeaways here, but what are some ways that people can really build like ideal habits, right? Around food? Like, are there any like strategies or tactics that you have your clients do to help build? the right habits because it right it's it's all about the habit building and getting into the right habits. So what are some strategies or tactics people can use to build those healthy habits? Yes, absolutely. So the first thing that I actually just had an onboarding call this morning and once we do a little food audit and figure out hey, what are you currently eating? Where are your strengths? Where are your areas for improvement? I say what feels easiest for you to work on? What is the lowest hanging fruit? Because if we pick something that's very manageable and feels, may not always feel easy, but it feels more doable compared to something that feels astronomically difficult. Well, I know that client is going to go and for the next week, week and a half until we talk next, he's going to crush it. He's going to do this thing that he said felt very easy. And then when we talk next time, he's going to be on top of the world saying, Nicole, I feel great. This was awesome. I crushed my compliance. Give me the next thing. But if I had given him the most challenging action step, the thing that he said felt so hard, he's going to go maybe do it occasionally in the next week, week and a half. Then he's going to come back feeling super discouraged. I don't want that. That doesn't breed for more success. So start small. And I know it's so cliche to say like small steps add up to big progress over time, but it is so true. It's a cliche for a reason. Start small allow yourself to be successful. So the rule of thumb I use with my clients is, do you feel 80 plus percent confident? You can do this thing. So if the goal is, once again, getting three servings of vegetables a day, getting seven hours of sleep a night, getting 20 minutes of movement, eating four servings of protein throughout the day, whatever it might be, do you feel 80 plus percent? We make it smaller. So start small, start simple. And the second is don't add too quickly. It takes on average... 66 days to create a habit. Now, it depends on what the habit is, depends on the person, depends on how many barriers you have. So it's a really big range. But all that to say, you are not an expert at something. Something is not automatic because you did it for three days or even three weeks. It takes time. The way that I don't know if you've ever seen like neural pathways in the brain, 
but it's basically like a little car on a racetrack. And if you've always done something the same way, that car on that racetrack creates these deep grooves. That's a neural pathway in our brain. And so it's so easy for our brain to take that, that neural pathway because we've done it so many times. When we're creating a new habit, we're basically saying, eh, we've got to take a different road. That car needs to veer off. Even though those grooves are really deep, we're going to take a completely different route. feels very foreign at first. And it's difficult because you may want to always have the chocolate after dinner because that's what you've always done. You may want to press snooze seven times because it's what you've always done. But we're saying, hey, try this new thing and then just don't introduce anything else until you give this two weeks. Now, it's going to take longer for it to become a habit. But after two weeks, you've got a little ground under your feet. You feel more confident you can do it. And then maybe we can add a second component or we can increase the goal a little bit. It's so frustrating because we want to do everything at once. Yeah. Right? Look at diet culture. Cut out all these foods. Only eat these foods. By the way, you need to start exercising and drinking your body weight, half your body weight in ounces of water. And oh, also, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Take the supplement, whatever it is. Crash and burn recipe right there. We're asking ourselves to do 17 things at once when research shows us that if we try to do three things at once, we have a less than 35% chance of success. If we try to do one thing at once, we have an 85% chance of success. Start small (laughs) and then give yourself time to ingrain the habit and make it automatic by just focusing on that one thing. This sounds incredibly frustrating because it doesn't feel like enough at first. Mm I can't tell you how many clients have been like, that's it. Right. What's next? Nicole, right. Like I can do more. And I say to them, if you come back with 80 plus percent compliance, I will give you more. Yeah. And we will work on another yeah. action step. I promise we can build as quickly as you're ready to, but we have to build the solid foundation first. Yep. And you are going to make progress in the long run so much faster than the person who tries to do 17 things at once fails, repeats indefinitely for a lifetime. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. No, those are great tips. And I, I find that with my clients too. It's, it's the overwhelm because they know they need to do all of the things, but it's like, no, don't do all of the things. Like, let's just build on. Yeah. That is such valuable advice. I have one last question that I like to, I'll always like to ask everybody, but before I ask you that, let everybody know where they can find you. Yes. Come hang out. I'm always on Instagram, hanging out my DMs at nutrition with Nicole and I C O L E. And my website is nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Perfect. Awesome. And I'll put links to all that in the show notes. So the last question that I like to end with is what is the most important thing people can do to live with purpose? Ooh, that's a good one. I think so without having a ton of time to like really wrap my brain around this, my response is in order to live with purpose, slow down and really ask yourself, what is it that you're feeling? Which kind of goes off of our earlier conversation. But instead of trying to just react and constantly keep up with everything and just sort of move along with the flow of life, pause and reflect. And if you're feeling something, how can you actually deal with it? How can you address it? How can you live it out? And I think that that naturally just brings so much purpose to your life because you're actually present. You're actually mindful. You're actually existing rather than just like bumbling along, trying to keep up. 
I love that. Being present is always good advice. So I think that's, I think that's perfect. Easier said than done, but good advice. Very true. Exactly. Exactly. No, I love that. Thank you so much, Nicole. This is such valuable information, like so many cool takeaways. So thank you so much for sharing all your expertise with all the listeners. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening to Hopeful and Wholesome, y'all. If you found value in this week's episode, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review to let me know what you thought. I love to know what you find useful in these episodes so I know how I can provide the most value I can to my listeners. And if you have topics that you want to know more about, I'd love to hear those as well. So shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It's at the Hope Pedraza or visit my website, hopefulandwholesome.com. Thanks, y'all.